Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome to this week's show. I hope you're doing well. Um, I am going to be talking about uh, what I believe is a very, very important issue, which is mental health awareness. Um, It's perhaps a tricky subject to cover in a podcast because there's so much depth we could go into on various different subjects. But I wanted to cover um, the sort of broader subject of mental health awareness because firstly, It is Mental Health Awareness Month in May for our listeners in the United States. And for those in the UK, it is also Mental Health Awareness Week from the 10th to the 16th of May. So it felt timely to record something on what is an issue that affects a huge number of individuals, a huge number of families and uh, a huge number of family businesses. So uh, it's a really interesting discussion with Whitney Johnson, who's my guest this week. And I hope you guys find it useful. I am fully aware of the impact that mental health can have on people. I talk a little bit about my own story in this episode. Um, And as I say to Whitney, all I have is my own experience. Everyone's experience is different. Um, But the overall message within this week's show is you are not alone and there is help out there. If you want to reach out, please feel free to do so. My email address is russ at familybusinesspartnership.com and uh, happy to help in any way I can, but if not, point you in the right direction to those services that are available to help um, if you are struggling with anything at the moment. Um, Before I get into the interview again, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who has been supporting the show via the uh, page that I set up on the podcast website, which is fanbizpodcast.com dot com forward slash support there's different ways that you can support the show Uh, one being to uh, in inverted commas buy me a coffee which is a a way of supporting content creators such as myself to say thanks for doing what you're doing the second way is to leave a rating in itunes hopefully a five-star rating in itunes so that more people find the show And lastly, possibly very important with this episode is to share it amongst as many people as you can. So if you've enjoyed this show, perhaps share it via social media. You can tag the podcast in the social media post if you want to. It's at fanbizpodcast on Twitter. Um, And uh, please do so and feel free to share this as wide as possible because it is such an important topic to be discussing. 
great guest this week. Whitney shares so much of her experience and the work that she does in this area. So I'm sure you'll really enjoy it. And uh, I'll hand over to that interview now. Well, hello and welcome to this week's show. I am joined this week by my guest, who is Whitney Johnson. Um, I'll get Whitney to introduce herself properly in a moment. And we are going to be talking about uh, what I feel is a really, really important subject, which is mental health awareness and some of the common issues that can impact and affect family businesses and members of family businesses. Um, it is a really, really important discussion to be having. Uh, so I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Whitney. So firstly, Whitney, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you are the Director of Business Development and a Clinical Case Manager at the O'Connor Professional Group. But why don't you tell our audience how you came to be doing what you're doing? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm delighted to be here and um, just so grateful that we're having this really important conversation that, that touches a lot of families. And really, that is the reason that I am doing what I'm doing. I currently work for O'Connor Professional Group. And we're a private behavioral health firm that helps families and individuals that are struggling with a variety of different issues, substance use and other addictions, mental health issues, eating disorders, autism spectrum disorders, and really any other challenges to, to overall well-being. But a really important topic, I think, that affects families all over the world. Um, I think these issues, mental health issues, substance use issues are just are so common. I know in my own family, we've had these issues and that's really the driving force behind why I got involved is my personal connection and, and experience with this. So again, really pleased to be here. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. I think a good place to start would be to look at the kind of commonality of mental health issues. One of the, um, I believe it's improving, but one of the areas I think that we still need to improve on is being far more open about being impacted and affected by mental health issues. And it is far more common than perhaps people think. And there's very often a feeling of being alone in a family business because it's unique to your family circumstances, your family characteristics, etc. But perhaps even more so, more, more highlighting the fact when it comes to um, mental health issues. Is, is that something that you come across? And um, I believe there's some sort of statistics that back that view up. Yeah, I think it's incredibly, incredibly common. Um, but there's still a lot of misunderstanding around it. There's still a lot of stigma. And so oftentimes there's a hesitation to talk about these issues so that it can feel like no one else is, is dealing with these issues because oftentimes it's sort of shrouded in secrecy. But really when we look at the numbers, what we do know is that this is incredibly, incredibly common. Um, prior to the pandemic, an estimated of, you know, amount of like one in four adults in the US suffer from a diagnosable mental health disorder in a given year. Around 12 million people uh, died of an overdose per, per year. And this is globally. Wow. Um, so we're seeing that, you know, this isn't affecting just a few people. In most families, 
there are substance use issues, there are addiction issues. And I think the pandemic has really, really highlighted these issues and exacerbated them. So there was a crisis, you know, these, these numbers are at a crisis level prior to the pandemic, but we're really seeing that the pandemic um, has fueled an increase in mental health issues, fueled an increase of substance use. Um, what we're seeing now is that, you know, there's been a large increase in symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, there's been some studies showing that there's a 12% increase in substance use, um, especially, you know, I think there's different populations get affected differently. So we're seeing young adults um, who have been really, really impacted by this. Um, they're more likely to report sort of depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. Um, so I think it's really important for us to be having these conversations so that people know these are really common issues. Um, and also there are, there are great treatments and support that exists out there. And I think the first step to your point of, it, you know, oftentimes people aren't talking about this. I, I, the first step is often being able to reach out for help, acknowledging and sort of naming the the issue. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few points that you um, make there that, that perhaps we can dig into a little bit. I mean, we are 12 months on from, uh, you know, horrific global pandemic that would have had an impact on people's lives in many different ways. And, and depending on where people are listening um, in, in our audience today, there's been varying degrees of lockdown um, in different countries and different approaches to, to trying to tackle it. And that will have had an impact on how people are feeling. And I know particularly here in the UK, we've, we're just on our way out of our sort of third enforced uh, lockdown. Uh, and hopefully with, with what's going on, we're seeing the back of the, the pandemic. But as we emerge from this, I think people are going to start looking back and thinking, wow, what a year that's been. We're now looking back at an experience rather than still going through it. And the potential impact that that could have on people's uh, mental health as well should not be underestimated. Absolutely. And absolutely. What we know, what history has shown is that the mental health impacts of disaster far outlast the actual physical impact. So most experts are actually predicting that we haven't even seen sort of the, the fallout um, yet, and that, that that is expected to continue to increase. And I know what we've been seeing in our practice is that there's a huge strain on, on mental health resources right now. Um, a lot of therapists have, and, and mental health programs have long, long wait lists. Um, and so we're starting to see that strain on the system too. Um, and so really uh, this is an issue that, that needs to be talked about. Um, there needs to be awareness of because that, that is predicted that we're gonna continue to see sort of this mental health crisis grow. Yeah, and uh, there will be people listening who are working in a family business who will be um, part of that is looking out for their fellow family members and their employees and their um, other stakeholders. What are some of the signs that perhaps we can all be looking for in order to sort of help um, in this situation? Because it is delicate. You, you want to be careful about how it's approached so that you don't do more harm than good. But what are some of the things we can be looking out for to, to help each other? Yeah, that's a great 
Great question. I think that there's there's a few ways of sort of looking at this. First of all, I think like having some education on on understanding what are some of the signs that somebody might be struggling? What are some of the signs that my loved one or my colleague might be, um, you know, might be dealing with a mental health issue or a substance use issue, um, or might just be under a lot of pressure? I mean, people have been under incredible amounts of stress recently. Um, and so I think one of the things is really understanding what, what those signs or symptoms might look like. Some are, some seem, might seem pretty obvious. It might be a, a really noticeable physical, you know, a change in appearance um, that's quite striking. You know, somebody who's normally very put together is, is very disheveled or come, you know, somebody who's normally very prompt is starting to consistently be very late um, or appear confused at, at a meeting. Um, other things that can come up, especially in family businesses, it might be overspending. So sometimes advisors notice a really um, bizarre pattern of, of spending, and that might be a sign of, of, of something going on. Um, another thing that can come out in, in family meetings, um, and especially just in trying to target this particular you know, space where a lot of your listeners are, are operating is, is you know, disruptive presence at a family meeting. Um, I know I've talked to lots of advisors who, you know, this person who's normally, you know, very restrained, uh -huh. you know, blew up at this meeting, um, or they, they, you know, there was a real overreaction to something that seemed benign. Um, there might also be other signs like isolation and disconnection, you know, from family, from friends, sort of a lack of social network, that can also be a sign. And I think too, and, you know, an inability to sort of commit to completing an activity, um, you know, whether that's a recreational endeavor, work, school, um, there might be an inability to sort of finish those. I'd also say, you know, if people mention um, an arrest, uh, if people mention that, you know, they're, son or daughter has been kicked out of university. Those are all signs of, of a problem. Again, you might not, you can't diagnose what that issue might be, but those are all some signs that there might be somebody who is struggling, um, whether it's a family member or, or a client that you're working with. So yeah. I think identifying and really knowing what, what are some of those things that I should be looking out for. Then to your second point, I think too, it's, it's how do I bring this up in a productive way? How do we have a productive conversation about this? Especially given the, the fact that for many individuals, you know, they, they might not want people asking about that. They might, um, you know, it, it might be a very obvious issue, but they, you know, they might not want to name it um, even just within their own family unit um, we see issues that, that go unaddressed for years and years and years because people don't necessarily want to rock the boat. They don't want to mess the status quo up. So there might be an individual in the family that's really been struggling and, and had a disruptive presence within a family business, for example, but there's certain sort of family norms and uh -huh. you don't say anything. You just, you, you let that person keep doing that. Um, and so there can be some level of, of family dysfunction, honestly, that, that 
kind of carries on and on and on. We do see see these issues that that just go unaddressed for a long time. So mm-hmm. when we're looking at sort of productively addressing behaviors as a family, the first thing, the first place we have to start is a recognition of the problem, naming it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is can be a hard step for a lot of families. And I think that's why having conversations like this and, and um, normalizing it is so important um, yeah. because really every family has these issues that come up. So those are some of the things I think about when, when we're first sort of approaching this issue. The other, you know, the other piece is really, you know, bringing this up and, and sort of having resources. Uh-huh. So I'm happy to, to expand on that a little as we continue our conversation. There's varying degrees of um, mental health issue as well. It's not, it's not a switch in terms of it's not a binary thing. You're fine or you're not. It's kind of um, a, a sliding scale. And I think that sometimes it can be that you start to see smaller changes in behaviour that you kind of think, oh, well, that. I'll ignore those for a bit and maybe it's something else because it is difficult to kind of address it. And as as silly as this may sound, sometimes just sort of asking, are you okay? And if someone goes, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And they go, no, uh, are you okay? Um, I, I had a, a phone call from uh, a good friend of mine um, very recently where uh, we did the normal thing. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. And he went, no, no, no how are you? And it it was a genuine care. It was a genuine interest in how I was feeling. And it changed the complexion because I thought, oh, okay, I now need to explain, well, actually this is going on and that's going on and this is happening. And it felt so much better afterwards to, rather than not pay any attention to the how are you question, to actually answer it was, was great. And I think, again, if we've got, it doesn't have to just be family it can be with friends it can be with colleagues it can be with anyone mm-hmm. taking a genuine interest in how people are we're all humans we're all emotional creatures we're all affected by everything that goes on around us and just having that as a bit of um a sort of just hygiene in, in terms of how we uh, treat people I, I think is a a useful place to start as well a hundred percent and and i think that that is such an important point of simply asking someone how they're doing. Some of the, the, the recommendations that we have in terms of bringing up these conversations, which if you're not used to having them um, can be helpful, is really, you know, whether it's you're approaching a, a family member, a friend, a client, you know, sometimes um, approaching the, the conversation by asking for permission, hey, can, can I raise a sensitive subject? This can often help people sort of be prepared for, okay, we're, we're having, we're going to have a conversation about, about something a little more challenging. Even just like having that moment of asking for permission can sort of set the stage for a better con- conversation. And a lot of the times too, verbalizing compassion. I'm really concerned about your levels of stress. You know, I, I noticed that um, you seemed upset in the meeting today. Um, I'm concerned. That can be a really nice way to approach a conversation. I think too, to our point earlier, normalizing problems, uh-huh. prefacing a conversation by saying, I know a lot of families and every family has issues or, hey, I've struggled with with this myself in the past. I, I was worried about you. Um, 
I think those are really helpful ways when somebody is sort of looking to to start a conversation. I think too, offering help, open-ended, how can I help you with this? You know, those are all really important things. And I think too, whether it's a family member and, and especially if you're an advisor that's working with a family and you notice that there might be issues, I think those can be challenging conversations to have. Mm too, um, because you're managing your role, you know, as somebody who who works with the family, you don't want to jeopardize your relationship with them. Um, there can be a lot of fear about sort of raising these kinds of concerns mm-hmm. with family. Yeah. Um, and we're not recommending, you know, if a family, if, if you bring it up as an advisor and a family is like, nope, not interested, we're not going to tell you to, you know, <laughs> keep pushing it. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't make sense. But, but a lot of the times what we're seeing is there's so much gratitude when an advisor does sort of have these conversations mm-hmm. with families. And a lot of advisors have really long-term relationships with families. They're working with them over the span of years and years and years. And, you know, I think these conversations are valuable um, and, and can really, you know, lead to a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding of that family too, that's, that's often not expected, but but really embraced and appreciated. Yeah, and I think um, as well, if if within uh, the the family unit or the family system, there isn't a, um, a sort of a cultural or a family norm of talking about this stuff and being open about this stuff, it, it is perhaps more difficult to raise it. But if there is an advisor there who's who's there to serve the family, essentially, they're there to have a positive impact and, and do a good job. It can sometimes be easier to raise it from an external perspective rather than to raise it from, you know, parents talking to children or siblings talking to each other. And um, I think as well, there can be a lot of bravery required in order to raise it. And if you sort of go, look, I'm concerned and, and I think... Uh, do, do you want to chat? How, how do you want to kind of approach this? And they just go, no, 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 I'm fine. It can be easy to think, right, I've done my, I've done my bit. I've ticked that box, but, but not to kind of, not to persist unnecessarily, but not to give up on trying to, to talk about it. If you do notice that something's wrong, because uh, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from, from personal experience. I, I've suffered from depression and anxiety in the past and when people tried to talk to you about it, firstly, for, from my own personal experience, I felt as if that was a sign of weakness, that I shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling. And therefore, admitting to it is almost admitting that I'm not good enough. And it kind of accept, it, it accelerates the issue in, in some respects, because you kind of think, oh, other people are noticing how this is impacting me. But it's persisting through that and realizing that firstly, there's help available, which I think is essential, um, but also that it is common. It is good to talk about it. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not something that, you know, is a failing of you as an individual that you're suffering from mental health. And all of this is part of trying to break that taboo of actually it's okay not to be okay. And we we can and should be talking about this stuff. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think it's, it's key. The more we can talk about this, the more we can, can share stories, um, you know, whether it's just even within our family, being able to have these conversations, sometimes that is, that is actually harder than talking to a stranger. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the more we can break down the stigma, um, the, the better we know that that's such an important factor uh-huh. in, in someone getting the support and the help that they need. So to your point, we know stigma creates this, this big barrier. So talking to it, talking about it does require bravery. Um, and it, and it does require sort of recognition of the issue. Um, I think if you're, you know, what a lot of the times what we've seen is when an advisor does, does bring this up to a family member, you know, maybe it's, it's the daughter whose father has started acting erratic and she's not quite sure what's going on. Normally there's this big sense of relief. Like there might, you know, they might cry. Um, oh my gosh, it's been so stressful for my family. A lot of the times it's, it's a scary thing to bring up, but there's a lot of relief in being able to share some of this. Uh I think the other thing that's helpful to think through as as an advisor is what resources can I offer? Um, what sort of help is out there? Where can I guide these families to go to, you know, you might not be a therapist or have expertise in whatever is going on. But one thing I encourage advisors to think through um, that are working with affluent families are, are what are some resources that you can guide them to. So, you know, I encourage it, whether it's looking more into O'Connor professional group, or maybe there's a local therapist um, in your community that you know and trust um, and, you know, other resources. I, I think having a plan as, as just sort of a, a standard part of of your practice and and business, having a plan for when these things do come up, like where do I refer this issue to um, is is hugely, hugely important. Oftentimes, just again, these families are incredibly grateful um, to have a trusted resource um, and to to sort of have have a plan to get help. So oftentimes, you know, advisors, loved ones, family members, you can be in a position um, to help. And I think it it helps to have these kinds of conversations too, so that we all can be prepared to better take care of one another. I completely agree. And and I think as well, we've touched a little bit on what family members um, can do to to help and to, to spot some of the um, signs that that, uh, we've highlighted there. And again, in my personal experience, if you have a gut feel that something's not quite right, you're probably right i mean that's that's no science to, to that it's just my my uh, personal experience um but but if you're somebody that's listening to this who is perhaps feeling depressed or is feeling anxious or is, is possibly appreciating that they might be drinking too much or abusing substances what would you suggest to to those individuals because again talking about my own personal so all all i can really refer to is my own personal experience when I was feeling low and, and feeling depressed, I didn't, I didn't really realize that I was, that, that I didn't sort of remember the the happy times, if you like. It was, this was just normal now, and this is how, how things are, and this is how I feel. So for me, it was hard to think, actually, I need to do something. I need to, to seek help and to talk about it. But, but there is, I think, things that you do recognize about yourself and you do understand about yourself that would be triggers to seek help i mean is it as simple as saying you need to talk about it is it you know find the best form of help that works for you what are your sort of suggestions along those lines you know i obviously i'm biased i work for a behavioral health (laughs) firm so i think a therapy can help anyone i am a huge proponent of it um 
But I, I think what's great about the time that we're living in right now is that there are a lot of different forms of treatment. There's a lot of different opportunities to get help out there. Um, and so there isn't just one answer or there isn't just one type of, of program. I think to your point, different things work better for different people. But I do think it's important um, if you're recognizing these issues that are coming up, if you're not, if you're feeling anxious and it's been super persistent, if you're feeling depressed, um, if you're noticing the substance use is sort of ticking up, if you're noticing perhaps eating disorder or a disordered sort of relationship with food, you know, there are so many programs out there that are, are great. Right now, especially more than ever, there's a lot of virtual therapy available. There's group programs. Um, there are, you know, traditional therapists. There are, there are tons of different programs. Um, and so what I'm going to do too, is I'm going to send a, a list of resources to you, um, Russ, that maybe you can share on your website yeah. um, for listeners. Cause um, you know, just in terms of, of finding help in your area, um, finding the right kind of treatment programs, you know, there's, there's just an endless list out there. There's, there's tons of resources. I think to that point too, it can be a little overwhelming uh-huh. when you're looking yeah. for help. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's like, you know, there's like this huge proliferation of, of new, like virtual therapy programs that are app-based. Um, and so I think, you know, helping sort of narrow it down, um, you know, they're finding, you know, asking for, for people, if you feel comfortable asking a friend, um, or someone who's, you know, your physician for recommendations, oftentimes that can be helpful too, Uh because they might know local people in your area. Um, but I definitely think taking that step to reach out, even if you just pick up a phone or sign up for one virtual support group, that can be, the, the first step in, in finding out what's going to work for you. Uh-huh. But I think the, the biggest risk is not doing anything at all. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. And obviously this is the family business podcast. So it's uh, aimed at family owned businesses and those that uh, provide uh, advice to them. There's, in my view, there are some complicating factors that come along with the environment of a, a family business that when it goes well it's fantastic it's brilliant and, and we all know the the joy and um, everything that, that working with your family can bring but on the flip side of that almost the dark side of that there are additional risks and, and factors that come with it can you speak to some of those um, from, from uh, your experiences Absolutely. And I think you, you really hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, there's complicating factors um, that come along with family businesses and, and working with family members and sort of the, the, the structure of family offices, but also sort of the family dynamics that get involved. Um, this, is a, this is a family system that we're talking about when we're talking about family businesses. Um, and so there can be a lot of complicating factors. I think one thing that's important to note that I think is a common misperception is I think a lot of people think that affluence and wealth um, protect can protect you from uh-huh. these kinds of issues. Yeah. And what we know is that that's not the case. Affluent families might even be at a higher risk. Uh-huh. Some studies indicate that there are higher rates of depression and anxiety among affluent families, higher rates of substance abuse and compulsive behaviors. Um, 
And we know that a lot of family businesses don't survive to pass down to the next generation. And in part, it is estimated that, you know, over 50% of families don't, don't sort of survive to the next generation because of addiction. So this is a, this is a, a, a big issue. I, I think some of the risk factors um, that we see that comes along with affluence that I think is, is really important when we're talking about this space um, is that there can be certain buffers for, for natural con- consequences. Uh-huh. Um, they might not be feeling the full effect of, of what's going on. Um, there can be isolation. Um, if you're, if you're very wealthy, you know, there might be a sort of that, that lack of support. There's also oftentimes, sometimes a lack of purpose. Uh Um, there can be achievement pressure. If you have a very successful parent, um, that can be a lot of pressure for, for a young adult Uh to try to live up to, or maybe they don't want to be a part of the family business, or maybe their skill set doesn't line up with that. Um, but there are a lot of different factors and just to sort of like the, the buffering of natural consequences, I think is a really interesting one because we've seen this play out. For example, um, a young adult who, you know, was going to be arrested for, for drugs, you know, the, the parents sort of swoop in and smooth that, you know, they, they're very prominent family. Uh They make a phone call. The, the son gets out of jail, doesn't have to spend the night of jail, everything, all the charges are dropped versus the, the gentleman who gets arrested, spends the night in jail and, you know, brings an immense amount of embarrassment and shame to his family. Mm. You know, we've seen this play out where sadly, a few years down the road, the, the young man from from the affluent family who was rescued several times from being arrested and from feeling those consequences, sadly died of an overdose. The young man who was his, his accomplice in this, who did end up going in jail because his family didn't have those connections, never touched drugs again after that first incident. And, and said to the mom, you know, like I didn't touch drugs. It, that spending the night in jail was horrific. My family was so embarrassed by me. And that's sort of like, you, you can see how these things play out and we don't call it really enabling. I think enabling is a loaded word. Um, a lot of the times it's, it's these protective behaviors. Like we love our, we love our children so much. We don't want them to have to, to feel this discomfort. We don't want them to go to jail. Like, of course I'm not, I am not a proponent of people hitting rock bottom or letting their, their loved ones do these, but there is this buffer that can happen with affluent families that can actually sort of worsen these issues and and allow them to continue. Um, we see this in family businesses you know, somebody with, uh, an addiction, a major addiction issue, um, they might not be performing well in the family business, Uh but their father, their cousin, their brother doesn't, you know, there's no consequences. A lot of times in family businesses, there aren't sort of formalized HR structures, or if there are, they might not apply to sort of executive level or or Uh family member, um, people. So, so some of the times you're seeing somebody, you know, who's not performing in their, in their role in the family business at all for years and years and years, um, and can appear from the outside to be very high functioning, um, cause they're still getting a salary. They're still there, but perhaps if they had been in a, in a different job or a, another company, 
they would have been fired. There mm-hmm. would have been consequences for, for them not performing due to their, to their drug addiction. And those types of things can, can be the thing that, that prompt people to get help. If you lose your job, okay, I, this is it. I probably need to get help. But a lot of times people aren't necessarily feeling um, that pressure or the uh-huh. need to get help. Yeah. And so sometimes that can just, these things can be latent for years and years um, and, and go sort of unaddressed. Yeah. So we do see those, we see how this can play out and how sometimes sort of the structure and the, just sort of the, the way family businesses operate, these things can, can serve to sort of prop up the maladaptive behaviors. Yeah, and I think you touched on it there with regards to the sort of protective nature of the the behaviour towards somebody who might be getting themselves in in trouble, and it's natural perhaps for for families to feel like they need to to protect, and if they've got the means to be able to do that, or they've got the prominence to be able to do that, the temptation is there um, to do it, and I think part of that temptation again could be that we don't want. We don't want them to get worse by being caught. We don't want that to be the kind of outcome from it. So the the arrest and the embarrassment, and you spoke about with that person who used that as a, a sort of a fuel to, to help them recover and, and get better. There is a danger that by being exposed to that downside that they go further into to that spiral. But I, I think the message we're saying here is that seek help rather than try and protect or ignore the underlying issue it's there are ways to deal with it there are mechanisms to deal with it and that there are as you say programs out there that can help but actually protecting doesn't really it it deals with a short-term issue but not a long-term one right and i am not advocating for any family member to you know let let their loved one become homeless. Like, you know, we, we don't want them to hit rock bottom, mm. but there are ways to make things a little less comfortable. Yeah. You know, maybe they don't need a $10,000 allowance every month. You know, maybe they, there's, there's ways to make things that, that can really help provide incentive for somebody to get help where if they're constantly sort of not feeling the consequences of their behavior, they might not be incentivized to get uh-huh. help. If they're still accessing money from their trust funds and have unlimited access to that, th- th- that's not going to help the person. That's, that might be supporting the, the behavior that's, that's detrimental to that person. Uh-huh. That's not supporting the person. So there's a difference there. Um, but to your point, we're not suggesting that we let, we let our loved ones sort of, oh, suffer and suffer. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not the right answer either. Uh, um, but, but really sort of, I, I think in these situations, having an objective third party who's involved that can see these things from the outside and, and help coach the family through, how do we respond the next time this happens? Uh-huh. Or how do we set up, you know, an appropriate, what is an appropriate trust distribution for this person, given what's happening here? Um, so I think having a third party to to come in that, again, has expertise in whatever the issue is, can help the family respond in much more productive ways. Yeah. Because oftentimes, despite best intentions, 
we might not be responding. We all know how complicated family systems can be. Yeah. I have my own family, I know. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, despite best intentions, we might not be addressing things in a productive way. Yeah, and what might be the most productive thing might also feel as if it's the most counterproductive thing or the counterintuitive route um, to take as well. And again, somebody who has some experience in dealing with these issues will be able to come in and go, well, actually, this is a route you could try or that is a route you could try. And um, it's not, you know, um, a one size fits all, as we know, with with everything related to to family and family business. There's not one rule that says this is how you deal with it. Um, But I think bringing in that experience and bringing in that expertise is a way of um, helping you find a way that works for, for you as a family. A hundred percent. And I think to your point too, there's a lot of nuances in how we approach things. One of the most important things too is to ensure that you're getting the right diagnosis and and that we understand what the person's addressing. The way we approach somebody with an eating disorder, for example, is gonna be different than the way we approach somebody with a a thought disorder. Um, It's gonna be different than the way we approach somebody with a substance use disorder. So there are lots of nuances to the approach um, to make sure that it's clinically appropriate um, and ultimately going to improve the situation yeah and i think um again with my uh, kind of family business advisor hat on uh, in in terms of the work that i do with families in building communication forums and governance structures and I, i'm not for a su- second suggesting that um, governance solves mental health issues it, it, i'm not naive enough to think that that's the case but having those kind of structures and forums and appropriate communication within the family to to be able to separate things out and to try and manage perhaps stress that can build up over time if everything's clustered together and um, not compartmentalized having those forums and structures in place can help right that that's not something that i'm sort of just making up for for self-benefit i couldn't agree with you more. I think it's it's a crucial part of, of family governance. And I think that there's a lot of proactive um, ways to use family governance to help address these issues, whether they're, it's a current issue or it's, it's preparing for the, the staggering likelihood, frankly, just given the statistics we talked about, that someone will face a mental health issue that someone will be facing addiction. I think, um, you know, there's some different tools, but certainly, you know, succession planning can be a great opportunity to start having conversations around this stuff. Family values conversations, um, estate planning considerations. Those are, that that is a huge, huge part. There's lots of sort of legal and estate planning considerations um, that, that can really play a role in in sort of improving or preventing these kinds mm-hmm. of issues. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think that that you're spot on in thinking that there's a big role in this mm-hmm. because there absolutely is. We we often will, you know, suggest to advisors that this sort of become a standard part of you know their engagement with a family. Mm-hmm. 
to the extent that they to the extent they feel comfortable, like at at an annual meeting to say, you know, I ask all my clients this question. Do you have any mental, do you have a history of mental health issues in your family? Is there something that's currently going on? Um, making it sort of like a form a standard question. Um, because we know that these issues impact the bottom line, right? Uh-huh. Financial and financial management, uh, smart business strategies are all crucial, a hundred percent crucial. Um, but mental health, addiction, all of these, all of these issues um, are also hugely important to family well-being over the long term. Uh-huh. We know this, yeah, um, and they're inextricably linked. Uh-huh. You know, if there's discord in the family system that is really woven into the fabric of a, of a family business. Yeah. And um, something you mentioned earlier on around purpose and having a purpose and, and meaning um, there, there is often a, a lack of formality, shall we say for family members within a family business. So for non-family employees and um, uh, executives, there will be job descriptions. There will be, clear roles and responsibilities, there'll be clear accountability. If that person doesn't perform as it is expected, then they are um, dealt with via the various procedures that deal with with underperformance. But if that doesn't exist for family members, it can have an impact, unintentional, completely unintentional impact Mm. on, well, what am I here to do? Am I only here because of my surname? Am I only here because of the, um, you know, family that I've been uh, born into? I want that purpose. I want that accountability. Um, and again, it can be a difficult subject to to raise with um, members of your family that, you know, you've been here for a few years and you're doing a great job. Can we start writing down what it is you actually do and your performance objectives and, you know, that kind of stuff, because uh, it's unusual. It's not something that they've necessarily had to deal with before. But again, I would suggest it's important in helping people to feel that sense of purpose um, in the work that they're doing. Right. I, I think that sense of purpose, that meaning is, is so important. Um, and I think there's a lot a more sort of awareness that, you know, maybe the, the path for one sibling isn't within the family business. And mm-hmm. how do we coach that person to, to sort of find their own passion um, to find what's going to bring them joy Um you know, I think it it can be really hard to to sort of find that that sense of independence, that sense of confidence, um, depending on sort of the family system and, and and sort of you know what what your life has been like as a young adult growing up in this. Um, it can be a really really confusing place to navigate, uh-huh. but also a really essential piece of the puzzle when we're, when we're looking at sort of succession planning is, is really, you know, what are these, what are these options and and sort of what can we put in place as a family business um, or in terms of like how we structure trust distribution to help foster resilience and independence. Uh I think that is a lot of what we look at. Um, those are sort of the the pieces that can help help one sort of be successful. Uh-huh. I'm a very strong believer in the fact that life isn't a rehearsal. So we've got this this one shot at it, and 
as a result, we mentioned earlier about the, the phrase an enabler. In my view, my personal view, a family business should act as an enabler to allow people to live the life they want to live, irrespective of whether that's within the family business, either working or owning it, or not. If their desire is to go and do something that's entirely different to what the family have, have built their wealth around, utilizing some of that to enable people to do that is another way of helping people live fulfilled lives, happy lives, and in some way avoiding the issues around the kind of circumstances that would need to exist for mental health to, to be um, an issue. And I think that sometimes there is a, an inherent pressure within a family business to, I have to, I have to fit somewhere in this organization and the pressure that that creates can be destructive as well. hundred percent. And absolutely the, an immense amount of, of pressure on sort of this next generation. Um, and you can see where there's, there's issues even among siblings that might have differences. Um, there might be a sibling that that is very well suited and wants this role. And there might be a, a sibling who's who's not quite sure, but maybe has a different skill set that isn't really he doesn't really fit in with the with the needs of the business. These can be really tricky areas to navigate, even among siblings, among parents, uh, among extended family members. Um, and uh, you know, I think people, you know, really um your identity can get woven up, as you said, into uh -huh. that family business, into into the family name, um, and, and I think those are all those all can be very confusing areas to have to parse through. And I think that's why it's so key to have a lot of different kinds of support, a lot uh -huh. of different conversations. I think too having expert facilitate expert people to facilitate these conversations is key. Um, I know in our work. We often collaborate with family, you know, wealth advisors in, in you know, facilitating some of these like trickier conversations, uh -huh. not from, you know, we're not doing what a family wealth advisor is doing. We're not advising on, on sort of the, the financial strategy or anything like that. But, but I think having these conversations in a productive manner, again, with sort of experts guiding the family um, can be essential because we, we can see how these conversations and discussions um, without sort of an expert sort of third party involved can, not, can, can go in ways that aren't so helpful or that don't feel great or that don't lead to a happy resolution for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's a, a great consideration to sort of look at like, who are the right kinds of people for this particular conversation? Uh -huh. Yeah, there's a phrase, um, I've stolen it and I've used it um, before and I, I can't remember where it came from exactly. Um, but it's a phrase I use with the, the families that I um, work with, where I say, you can't read the label of the jar that you're in. And so having somebody come in and, and read that label and, you know, hold the mirror up and go, this is what's going on. It, it's often very surprising because they'll go, oh, my, okay, right, I didn't realize that. And it's because they're, they're within it. They're part of it. They're, they're absolutely within that system. And having that um, third party, objective third party come in and and do that and and do it in a way that where there's a great deal of care it's not you know it's not coming in to pick holes in everything that's going on it's just to reflect back what we see is happening within that family system 
can be a fantastic starting point for overcoming the challenges and issues that they're facing. I love that quote and that that whole concept. And I think what's so important there is that there's that objective third party. If your if your brother reads you that label and tells you what they yeah. see, that's probably not going to land well. Versus somebody who comes in um, that's a little bit separated from the situation and and can say it from a, you know again from a caring place. Um, uh, that's that's sort of where we can start to see some of these these shifts and having these conversations in really helpful ways. Yeah, and I think obviously we're talking about a um, sensitive situation. We, we inherently mental health issues are are something that, as you say, one in four will will suffer from. It's not pleasant for those that are, are suffering from it. But I, I want to to kind of end the the episode on some positive notes um, to, to kind of offer hope because again as somebody who's who's been through it there is light at the end of the tunnel there there is um you know it there are things that can be done there are various different ways there is you know medicines there are mindfulness techniques there is exercise and and general improving your own well-being to help get you back on on an even keel and if things are i mean fortunately mine was relatively a mild um sort of depression rather than um, anything too um, scary but but there are varying degrees to it but there are there is help out there and I think if you are suffering if you're feeling like this has resonated and you recognize any of this within what we've spoken about please reach out please get in touch um, because there is help out there and, and there are people who want to help and, and to make things better for you. That is so true and and I have to say I am very optimistic about the future of the world and there are amazing, amazing resources out there. And the great thing is that there are a lot of very effective treatments. And like we mentioned before, not everything works for every one person, um, but there, there really are effective treatments for anxiety and depression. Um, and there's a variety of them, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy, a mindfulness approach, um, taking, you know, pharmaceutical medications that are effective under, you know, under the supervision of a doctor. Um, It's really wonderful that there are treatments and programs that can address a lot of these issues. Um, And I think that's, that, that's the key is that we really have to look at, at these issues as, as requiring that investment of finding a professional that, that has expertise in that. Um, And, you know, really ensuring that, that, there's an awareness of that. I think that ending on your ending on your positive note is, is so <laughs> crucial because there is a lot of help out there. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for anyone listening to this as as well, to um, d- just reach out and say hi to people and, and to be truly inquisitive as to, to how they are can, can make such a huge difference in people's lives and um, never underestimate how powerful the, the how are you and then actually caring about the answer Um, can be Um, so Whitney thank you so much for your time and your insights it's been uh, a really enjoyable conversation about um, a difficult subject but one that I think we need to try and um, break down the taboos over and I I hope we've achieved that um, in this conversation today so thank you very much for coming on the show thanks so much for having me 
Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.